Hello, everyone. Welcome to Two Guys Five Movies. This morning, your co-host Chris Gasberry. This is Frank Pelican. It is May third, two thousand nineteen. Tonight, we are recording episode thirty-two, which is the top five sci-fi movies of the nineteen nineties. Frank, this is the first sci-fi-esque list since episode seven that we've done. What's seven? Best alien movies. Best alien movies. Yeah. Um. <clears throat> so we've it's been a while since we've done anything related to sci-fi. That. That's because, bless you, that is because that is your, uh, it's one of your least favorite, isn't it? It's a genre that I find it very difficult to have a lot of excitement for, I guess. Yeah. I mean, there's sci-fi movies I like a lot, and I like a lot, I like some of the movies on this list quite a bit, but it's not a a genre I really think about a whole lot, Hmm. typically. But you grew up with a lot of sci-fi movies that you like probably, right? Right. I mean, there's a lot from my childhood that I love. Like, you know, I'm... Love the Star Wars movies as a kid. I liked the first few Star Trek movies when I was young. Mm-hmm. Um, there's stuff like The Black Hole, which is one of my favorite movies from when I was like a, a pretty young kid. And like Ice Pirates and I don't know. There's Silent Running I like a lot and mm-hmm. Logan's Run. and I mean, there's a lot of like 70s and early 80s sci-fi movies that I really enjoy, but I don't really ever think of them as being like, I don't know, like top anything lists. Like mm-hmm. movies are, they're just fun diversions, I guess, for the most part. What about novels? No, oh, I hate sci-fi Novel? fiction. Yeah, oh, so much. Yeah, I don't know if there's anything I really like sci-fi-wise. Um, I thought you liked Philip Philip K. Dick. It's all right, okay. I guess. I'm not like a huge fan. Right. Like I've read whatever. Because I've always been treated like an asshole my entire life for not really caring for Philip K. Dick. No, you're fine. Okay. He's very Pretty sure um, you've treated me like an asshole for not liking Philip K. Dick stuff. No, I haven't. Hmm. I don't okay. care about Philip K. Dick. Okay. What have I read? Like Neuromancer, right? That's Philip K. Dick and No, that's uh that's William Gibson, isn't oh, it? Oh, right. Well then I don't even know <laughs> Philip K. Dick. Do Android's Dream of Electric Sheep. Yeah, I've read that. Time out of joint. Uh, I don't think I've read that. Minority Report. Philip I've read K. Dick. like like Ray Bradbury has some sci fi stuff that I like. Okay. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm not a fan of, like, Isaac Asimov. You know, I, like, I just don't care. I don't mm-hmm. know. Okay. It, because it always tends to be very, like, self-important, in my opinion. Mm. Like, I don't I don't need to know the science. Because they always get, like, all bogged down in, like, why things are happening. I don't, I don't care about that shit. Like, I'd rather have it just be magic and, you know, that's fine. Like, I don't need an explanation. I just, it's always really boring to me. Are there more TV shows you like in sci-fi because they there's te- there's lots of TV shows that don't get bogged down in the details and just tell a story? Well, how many sci-fi TV shows do I like? On the Firefly, right? There's one. So far, you like the expanse of what you've seen, right? <clears throat> yeah, but it's not something where I feel like driven to watch it. Sure, you know, and I watched Battlestar Galactica because we watched it together, and there was stuff in Battlestar Galactica I thought was fine, but there was also stuff I thought was terrible. If you had the just roughly. Just gut reaction now. Estimate if you had a top five mistakes we've made list in terms of television shows. Oh. Is Battlestar Galactica in that top five? Do you think? Ah, man. See, I don't think you would like my list. <laughs> like, Carnival is on my list. I can see that. I feel like that was a waste of my life. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. 
I mean, there's there's stuff in Battlestar that I thought was really sure. good. Sure, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Like, every season has at least, like, four or five episodes where you think, like, man. like Oh, they're going to turn it around. It's this gonna... is what the show is capable right. of, and then, like, you mark out to it. And then you get the uh, the union worker strike. And... Oh, that episode. Or, like, five episodes or <laughs> What's whatever. What's the name? Um and the prostitute. Right. Uh, yeah, with yeah. Bill Duke. Yeah. Yeah, um, so. maybe I, I don't know. I, I don't think it is. I, I can't think of what mistakes. So okay, so so we're off to a rousing start already. You hate sci-fi. We're right. going to do a top five sci-fi movies <clears throat> of the 1990s list. Um, so let me throw some more movies at you from the 90s that aren't on your list, and okay. I want to get your reaction to them. Uh, so, uh, Contact. I think it's a really boring movie. God, why would you bring that up? Contact's like not a good movie, is it? Contact people, gets pretty good reviews. People think Contact is a good movie. People like Contact. Oh, man, I hate Contact. Yeah. No, people like Contact. Yeah. That's Jodie Foster. Audien- right? audi- yes. Audiences oh, yeah. like Contact and critics like Contact. I fell asleep during that movie. <laughs> Ugh. What else? Men in Black. The original. Um, it's fine. I, I mean, it's, I guess, thinking of it now, it's 100% sci-fi, but I think of that more as like popcorn like summer blockbuster movie that's fine so that, that's more like yeah i don't know well to stay in line with that so independence day you would almost think the same thing i mean i like independence day yeah. or i liked independence day when i right. saw it in the theater there's a lot of like problems with independence day but it's it's a fun movie to watch but um, yeah because like, they don't care about the science behind independence day it's just like right. hey man there's some aliens sure let's kill them okay uh so I can probably start predicting your answers on some of these. Stargate. <clears throat> Stargate is a terrible movie. Stargate's one of the worst movies. Stargate's one of the... Like, I I watched Stargate <laughs> opening night in the theater and laughed out loud, like, several times during the movie. And people were not happy. Like, people were really into that movie, and it was terrible. Terrible movie. <clears throat> I've heard that the television series is actually pretty decent, so... Maybe like some good ideas came out of it, but man, that movie sucks. I've I've been put in a position where I've had to watch a number of episodes or partial episodes of those Stargate series, and it has peaks and it has low, really low valleys. One of my favorite movie going experiences is watching Stargate when the Neanderthal kid who's wearing the helmet, who's like the mascot, yeah. gets blown up and his helmet rolls in slow motion down the ramp of the Stargate. <laughs> I remember that. And one. I laughed so hard <laughs> at that scene. It's hilarious. <laughs> yeah, that movie's terrible. Oh, uh, let's see. All these would be... Galaxy Quest. What do you think about Galaxy that? Galaxy Quest is fun, but it's just yeah. parody, in my opinion. But it turns into like a real thing, kind of. Even though it's... Right, yeah, I guess it's more like homage than parody, yeah. but it's fine. I mean, yeah. Galaxy Quest is elevated by the <clears throat> the performances of the actors, I think, more than me actually caring about. Like, in terms of, like, the plot, like, I view Galaxy Quest not much higher than I view, like, Lost in Space or something. I don't know. Gotcha. Okay. So, all these movies would be on my list if I were creating a top five list. You would put Stargate on a top no, no, five? No, 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 no. Not any of those movies. Oh. The movies I'm getting ready to oh, okay. talk about right now Ooh, that I'm going to, to ask you about. Okay. That's rough. So, I think I know your opinion on this already. Strange Days. 
I think it's a really pretentious movie. I, I think it's like yeah. masturbatory. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, it's it's not a bad movie, I guess. Yeah. But it was like embarrassing to me as a 17-year-old or 18-year-old kid, however old I was watching it. In the really? Theater. Yeah. How old are you? How old? What's our difference? So three years? Huh. Okay. I it was it came out <clears throat> in the theaters like six months before I started working at Regal. Okay. Because I saw it at like a small like mom and pop in uh, Western yeah. Maryland because I was dating a girl out there yeah. at the time. Okay. Uh, Starship Troopers. I like Starship Troopers a lot. Yeah. I think Starship Troopers is um a little too overproduced, maybe. Like it's not um. In hindsight, I probably should have put Starship Troopers on the list because it's fun. But what it's based on, I hate. Like, I can't stand... Yeah. Who's that? Heinlein, right? Yeah. Yeah, I, I hate that shit. Yeah. Stranger in a Strange Land, isn't that the same? Oh, my God. Is that right? I'm not sure. I don't know. But Starship Troopers, the book, is like... <clears throat> I don't know. Terrible. So overwrought and... Uh, and, like, so kind of like... I don't know. Like, Nazi-ish? I, I don't know. Well, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. Don't his politics tend towards i guess so yeah okay um terminator 2 so i watched terminator 2 again because i actually thought about putting it on this list and it's just i just i don't find it to be entertaining anymore i don't know it has guns and roses on the soundtrack though oh, that's the best part oh okay bitch slap rapping like right. that's it's it, like <laughs> so there's like this divergent path in the 90s where like movies about like crime and like life were becoming more like interesting and complex and watchable and movies about sci-fi were just i don't know i just there's just something about them that i'm not a, not a huge fan of okay terminator 2 is fine like yeah. it's probably number six on my list i guess okay i can't believe starship <clears throat> troopers was the 90s that's crazy hmm. what is it 99 starship trooper i yeah, ninety eight or ninety nine. I can't remember. Yeah, it really, it doesn't feel like that was twenty years right. ago. It was the tail end. Um, I'll tell you this though: I've seen Starship Troopers in the past couple of years, and it doesn't look like a twenty year old movie. No, I, I've seen in the past like five or six like pieces of it, and yeah, it, it and it held up. I think. it definitely holds up in terms yeah. of its visuals. Uh, number two, I'll skip for right now because it is on your list. And um, Gattaca. Ah, oh, Gattaca, come on. I mean, Gattaca is okay, I guess. It's just not one of those things where it's like, man, I don't know. Like, it's so obvious. Like, all, like the, my, one of my biggest problems with sci-fi, sci-fi is always about like, it's like that to serve man episode of Twilight Zone, you know? Mm -hmm. Like, oh, it was a cookbook of people. Like, ah, oh, like crazy. You know, like I, that, that's uh -huh. not impressive to me, you know? Like, uh -huh. I don't know. I'm just like. It's, like, stuff written by people that have no, like, legitimate human contact that are, like, look how deep and profound I am with these ideas I'm putting forth. And it's, like, buddy. <laughs> like, I, like, that was stuff I thought when I was, like, 15. Like, you're, you're not you're not impressing anyone. Who What's Gattaca? Ethan Hawke and... Uh, Uma Thurman. Uma Thurman, yeah. And um, Gore Vidal in a wheel, like, uh, as, like, a... Right, I guess I don't have an opinion on Gattaca. Okay. Um, oh, I forgot, but it would be the same thing, probably. Dark City. So I think Dark City is just super pretentious. Like, it looks nice sometimes, but 
it's another one where it's just i don't know okay i don't know all right so now that you're done shitting on sci-fi right. let's, um let's, get let's, get, let's get into the ones that you apparently like right the, the <clears> first <throat> one's gonna be tough so number five on your list is the fifth element from 1997 it is directed by Luke Besson, uh, starring Bruce Willis, Mila Jovovich, Ian Holm, Gary Oldman, Chris Tucker. Has a 71% from critics on Rotten Tomatoes and 86% from audiences. You want to tell us a little bit about this movie and what you like about it? So, apparently, there's these four elemental stones and this fifth element that can stop this evil from attacking the universe and they're held in like 1920s egypt and these ridiculous looking aliens come down to like get them to keep them for safekeeping and fast forward like hundreds of years and somehow tiny listers like the president of the universe (sighs) and like these aliens are coming to attack them and they blow up something so they got to get these stones, but then the Mangalores or whatever, this alien race, like, is working for um, Gary, Gary Oldman, Oldman Zebo mm-hmm. or whatever. Yeah. That's not his name. Something like that. <laughs> um, so the only thing that's left out of the fifth element is, like, the hand out of the sarcophagus that came out of Egypt. And they reconstruct it, and it turns out to be Mila Jovovich, who's, like, some badass humanoid, like, I don't know. And she runs into Bruce Willis and they have adventures. And then ultimately, like, she has the chance to stop, like, this evil from attacking. And she doesn't want to because she realizes that, like, maybe humanity's not worth saving. But then Bruce Willis is in love with her. So then humanity is worth saving and she saves it. Right? That's pretty much the movie. Sure. What do you like about it? That's your question. Yes. So there's three reasons why this is on the list. Well, there are four reasons. <laughs> Reason number one is because this was supposed to be Total Recall, but Total Recall isn't available to stream anywhere. And I ordered it off of eBay, but I was away for business all week, so I didn't get it in time for you to watch it. So you couldn't watch Total Recall. So it couldn't be on the list. So that's reason number one. Um, I really like Luke Bassan a lot. Mm-hmm. And he actually is responsible for a couple of my favorite sci-fi movies in like the modern age. Um uh, Le Dernier Combat, uh, which is from like the early 80s, I think, or mid 80s, maybe late 80s. Um, but it's like a post-apocalyptic sci-fi. And then, um, shit, what are they called? Oh, the ones that... What is that, the... mo- real quick, that movie? What's roughly the plot of that movie? Uh, it's like The Last Woman, and they're trying to get her, and I think it's um, Jean Reno is the bad guy, and they're like, yeah. through like these dilapidated that's a good movie yeah it's really good i forgot that movie existed um yeah i i actually love that movie and then the um the ones that he made in like the mid-2000s that have the parkour where it's like the parts of the city that are like walled off because of i can't remember the actual plots but it's like basically people just jumping all over the place but they're fun movies to watch um man i wish i could remember what those movies are called and I like Luke Besson a lot. Like, I like, um, you know, The Professional is one of my favorite movies of the 90s. Um, I think he's got a lot of talent as a director. Um, I think where he, like, kind of falls short in this movie is, I think it's the 
um, Guillermo del Toro like effect, which is where when he's directing something in his native language, like he can create like really fantastic and like captivating stories. Mm-hmm. But when he's directing primarily in English, which is not his first language, like all the dialogue tends to feel like weird and it falls flat. Like there's, I'll be honest, like the opening half hour of this movie watching it i was sitting there thinking like man did i make a mistake like i don't know if this should be on this list because there's a lot of really bad like bloated dialogue and just really awkward scenes and the movie doesn't actually pick up until you get 30 minute mark almost yeah like like when when they resurrect lilo and she gets with willis and then you have like almost like the like the buddies on the run element mm-hmm. of it and like going to the different places and you know gary oldman becomes like a major yeah. character that's when it gets fun yeah i mean he's yeah. really good in it mm-hmm. gary oldman is my other like reason because i love his performance in this movie i i love gary oldman in general and i think that he gets luke Besson and i think that like luke Besson appreciates his range as an actor and he can kind of just like let loose like he doesn't have to be like controlled or anything you know and it's the same as his um his villain in uh the professional the um the dirty lieutenant in that um i honestly like the world design for the most part um i think there's a lot of like i think a lot of movies that try and take place in like a not too distant future earth sort of want to rip off Blade Runner a little too much and kind of make everything feel like that. And I feel like this is different enough from that where it actually feels like a fully realized world, and I I like that. I actually think that this movie influences stuff like Firefly and um, Battlestar a lot more than anything else, Mm. just in the way that things look. Like, the way that, like, the interior buildings look and the way that... Mm. um, like the concepts of how things like doors and food and you know what I mean? Like lighting works in the universe. Yeah. That's, that's always one of the things that bothers me about sci-fi is I feel like that minutia is always a little too. I definitely see what you mean by Battlestar. I can see what you mean by Firefly, but the Firefly is like post-Civil War. The same, same right. concept, but it's post-Civil War. So everything's dirtier and more broken. And yeah. Except for the you know whatever the there's there's just a certain feel whatever their like, version of the empire is like the clothing and stuff and i mm-hmm. like the clothing of fifth element is ridiculous you know sure, I mean? like sure. everybody's wearing like yeah. space all, it's like space channel number five right yeah. they all have terrible haircuts sure. and they're all dressed in like ridiculous yeah. clothes but at the same time like there's like a unity to it that i kind of mm-hmm. like and there's a like a uniformity to it where it doesn't feel like yeah i agree it's just outlandish just to be outlandish yeah. it's like that's just what fashion is. Yeah. I mean, how, how often do you see... I mean, I think it's visually interesting. How often do you see orange as a primary color throughout a movie? Right. You know? I mean... <clears throat> That's true. Yeah, and they... Because they, he has orange in his outfit. Like, she's yeah. has the hair and, like, but orange in hers. and it, It's a lot more colorful than sci-fi movies sure. usually are, too. And one of the things that actually kind of bothers me about sci-fi is that they do tend to fall upon, like... You always got to have, like, some Nazi force like mm-hmm. running around like somebody's got to be dressed up in jack boots and great coats and yeah. you know i mean like i don't know like dark city and Gattaca. right yeah. and like to me that's just kind of like a boring like right. cheap and dark it, it's it, it's cheap in dark city that's what it's cheap heat right yeah. 
But it's like there's no creativity to that. And to me, that's like the downfall of science fiction is because like the idea is so grand that it loses like, I don't know. And I feel like there's some of the small elements in Fifth Element, even though I think Fifth Element's a ridiculous movie, um, that make it fun. It's odd though, because like, it's not a performance I particularly enjoy of Bruce Willis. And I think it's a really... I think it's really interesting that Bruce Willis was this, like, action hero sex symbol in the 90s. Like, I can't imagine that being true anymore, but then, like, you watch all these movies from that time, and you can, like, it's definitely what he was, you know, I mean. Sure. He was 100%, like. He was more of your everyman, though, in some ways, right? Yeah, but still still with this element of, like, sex appeal to him. Sure. I mean, they, they, they like to show Bruce Willis's like, physique in these mm-hmm. movies. Like, they like to make you see Bruce Willis, you know, like, as this guy that, like, maybe ideologically you could aspire to be, but you could never aspire to be him. Mm-hmm. Like, even though he's a cab driver, he's this former, like, war hero. You sure, know what I mean? right. So, yeah. it's not like he's even, like, a normal guy. He's just a... He's an exceptional guy that's forced himself to be normal. Right. And I think that that's pretty, like, I don't know, like, consistent with just who he plays in a lot of movies. Hmm. Which is why I love The Sixth Sense so much when it came out, because it really is like a, I don't know, like a playing against type for him. Hmm. Like that hangdog, you know, sad. I think the thing with Willis in this movie is that he's he's trying to be more affable and likable like friendly a lot of times and i don't think that not to say that will has no comedic timing because he does i mean yeah I, i've seen movies where i think sure. Bruce willis is funny but he's not a friendly dude it seems like it's it's like so it feels awkward when he's trying to be so friendly and so jovial in this movie and i it rubs me it seems it doesn't seem realistic to me right whatsoever yeah, I can see that. It's like it's like a it's a it's a it's a it's a more carefree like freewheeling John McClane, and uh, it just doesn't come off as sincere to me in this. Um, I'm still fine with him in this movie, but it's just that He's fine. I, yeah, it's just not something that I like. Sure. I don't love that performance or anything. Yeah, I think that could have been like any number of other agreed male actors from the time sure. would have been just fine. Yeah, um, um, I think Mila Jovovich is charming. She's okay. In the movie? She's or... another one that, like, Luke, Luke Besson's just in love with her. Sure. Um, is it Betty Blue, maybe, or whatever that movie's called that she's in? Um, she's one where, like, I really thought she was going to be, like, a much bigger, like, indie star. And then after this, she kind of just falls into those uh, Resident Evil movies, and yeah. then that's just the end of her life, basically. Sure. It's just playing Alice mm-hmm. forever. Right. Um... She's fine in it, yeah. you know. Again, like, it's it's always hard for me with, like, these. Okay, you so. You don't like the Chris Tucker stuff either, do you? No. I don't. Really? I don't. I I really don't like Chris Tucker. Really? With you. I, I think huh. Chris Tucker's one of my least favorite actors of, like, ever. Interesting. I thought he had a shtick that got overdone that was funny the first couple times you saw it. And... Yeah. It's pandering to me, Chris Tucker. 
I wouldn't deny that. Like, I don't know that Chris Tucker... Bruce Willis is always in on the joke, and you're not in on the joke with Bruce Willis. Chris Tucker always is the joke in his movies. Okay. Bruce right. Willis is, like, looking right. at I you, see that. I see like, that. through the camera. Right. But it's because he knows more than you do. Right. And Chris Tucker is just, like, a punchline, basically, in everything he's yeah. in. Do you understand the words that are coming right. out of my mouth? Yeah. yeah. Right. Just pandering. Okay. The, I, I also kind of like... It, it reminds me in a lot of ways of, like, some of the sci-fi that I enjoy, which is, like, the... Stuff like Buck Rogers and Flash Gordon. Right. Which is like sci-fi that doesn't necessarily take itself too seriously, even though like I can't stand like the the stones and the build-up and all that stuff. Like it's just too much. But I mean, it's the still first thirty good. minutes of this movie is a yeah. train wreck. It's really bad. It's like I don't know what. It's like look, we're just average people who've watched movies, but I know enough about screenwriting to know that your main character shouldn't be introduced 26 minutes into it. And everything that leads up to that is way too self-masturbatory about the story and the world and all those kind of things. It's like, it's a struggle. Like you said, it's a half hour basically. And yeah, it's, it's a struggle to get through to the story that actually matters. And that's after that. I mean, a lot of people accuse it being incoherent at times, I don't think it's incoherent so much as it's just muddled. Um, I think it's incredibly... Like, I... It, it's an incredibly simple premise. Sure. That, I like, agree. he yeah. gives way too much... And again, I think it's because he's directing a movie not in his native yeah. language. Right. And I think he's just not as... Which is funny because The Professional is so relatable. But maybe that's because... Um... Uh, What's his name? Um, should I just said it? The Jean guy that Ren- plays Leon. Renault? Yeah, Jean Renault, mm-hmm. like, as the main actor, is speaking the same language so he can understand him a little better. Sure. Um, and Gary Oldman's just Gary Oldman and Natalie Portman, mm-hmm. you know, just does what she does. But, like, it's funny that, like, that movie's so well done. Mm-hmm. And then Fifth Element's, like, such a mess in some ways, but... Mm-hmm. It's a fun mess. Like, it wasn't... I didn't, like, dislike watching it again, and I, I enjoyed it well enough. And there were scenes, like, the, like, Lilu fighting the, um... Uh, Muscovians, or whatever the hell they're called. Yeah. Like, that's that's a really fun scene, and... So, yeah. So, the Hollywood Reporter... You might even agree with some of this, but I'm still gonna read it, because it is a really succinct trashing of this movie. <clears throat> They say that while there's nothing wrong with trying of with mixing tried and true story forms and whipping them into entertaining and appealing scenarios, screenwriters Bassan and Kamen have put together a hyper busy threadbare and ultimately incoherent narrative that reduces the fifth element to the skinny skimpy proportions of a fashion show for designer Gaultier. Gaultier's halt couture stitchings. Admittedly, Gaultier's duds are interesting when they are worn by worn by say naomi campbell but on the players here these peculiarities are off-putting nevertheless there are some petite bon mons in the film such as an evil guy gary oldman's neo hitler look it's narratively challenged visually monotonous and orally overpowering the fifth element is a staggering um example of all the wrong elements and some rather dopey ones as well that's nah, just pretentious that's a bad review <laughs> 
I mean, I here's here's my major criticism of the movie. Yeah. Lilu is this the most powerful being in the universe. Mm-hmm. The only being that can stop this great evil from spreading. And she's reduced to a love interest. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, I don't really care much for like messages in movies, but it's just kind of like tone deaf and like sexist in a way. Well, it is the 90s. And it's just kind of odd that like, I don't know. Like that's the only that, that that's the one thing about the movie that if I was gonna if if I was writing like some kind of like highbrow like pretentious criticism mm. that would probably be my criticism of the movie is yeah. that it, it it reduces the most powerful character to just being like easily swayed by like the verbal declaration of love of like some dude yeah basically so. Janet Maslin said that it's excitement over reason. That's pretty much how she summed up the movie, which I don't think I I think that's fine. I I don't think I disagree with that necessarily. I mean, I agree with that, but I think that's maybe its strongest point is that like, you don't necessarily need to reason too much. Like once you get past that drivel in the beginning about like why everything's happening, like then it becomes fun, you know, for like an hour and 10 minutes or whatever. Okay. Let's go ahead and move on to number four then. So number four on your list is, and you can do the Spanish because I'm... Abre los ojos. Yeah. Open your eyes in English. It's from 1999. What is it? Alejandro Amandar. Yeah. Um, Eduardo uh, Noriega, Penelope Cruz, and Chet Lara. It has an 88% from critics on Rotten Tomatoes and 85% from audiences. Uh, just so viewers know, this is the film that Vanilla Sky, which was done three years later, I think, in 01, was right. based off of, starring Tom Cruise and Penelope Cruz. Um, you want to go ahead and tell us a little bit about this movie and uh, what you like about it so much, right? So... Cesar is this... You're already off to a better start because you didn't use the word apparently. <laughs> right. Well, I actually understand and okay. appreciate this movie's plot. Um, Cesar is this uh, mid-20s successful playboy, um, wealthy uh, ladies' man um, who keeps waking up to his alarm and a female voice saying, open your eyes. Um, the early part of the movie is deals with him basically stealing his friend's like love interest who's played by penelope cruz um the pretense being that he's trying to avoid the woman that he's been sleeping with um him and penelope cruz spend like a like a friendly romantic night where nothing like sexual happens between them like learning about each other and he genuinely seems to like fall in love with her um he's picked up as he's leaving her apartment by uh nura um, the former love interest, um, who basically, um, browbeats him into getting into her car. Um, she drives the car off a cliff, wrecks it, kills herself and scars him, um, irreparably, like completely disfigures his face. Uh, so he becomes a shut in, um, the doctors can't do anything to really fix his face. So they give him like a mask that he's supposed to wear. 
Um, he eventually seeks out the Penelope Cruz character again, who doesn't share the same affection for him that he had for her after their one night. Um, she's actually apparently with the best friend again. Um, he becomes like incredibly drunk and like almost inconsolable and ends up passing out in front of her house, um, wakes up the next morning, um, finds out that she's in love with him, that the doctors can fix his face, which they do. But then after they fix his face, he starts seeing, um, the former lover in place of Penelope Cruz. Um, and he starts to kind of go mad and think that there's like some almost like supernatural thing happening. And at the same time, he starts to remember things that don't actually exist. Um, and it's intercut with scenes of him having committed some sort of murder, which they don't tell you what that murder is at first talking to his uh, psychiatrist. Um, it eventually all wraps up to this point that when he collapsed outside of her apartment, when he was drunk, he was sent into a state of suspended animation and he's basically been living his life inside his own mind, which is supposed to be a paradise. Like it's a cryogenic freeze where he's like supposed to be able to live in whatever kind of paradise he wants. But he's somehow created this world where he's a murderer and he's like still disfigured. And um, at the end, it's, you know, he realizes that he's still in control and he leaps to his death as the voice comes back and says, open your eyes. So there's some question as to whether or not, like, does he wake up in the future and disfigured? And like, what's the, you know, ultimately, like, what is happiness and. You know, even if even like with complete control, like he was never able to like be happy, I guess, because subconsciously, like he still knew what had happened to him. So um, pretty fascinating movie. Um, it's moves, I think, pretty well between being like almost just like a normal like melodrama um, and like having these like small sci fi elements to it. Um, especially when, like, he starts to realize that he does have control over the world that he's in. Um, but then you're not really sure as the viewer whether or not, like, if he's psychotic and imagining those things or if those things are real, like, what he's being told, so. Um, but really great performance by the guy that plays Cesar. Uh, Penelope Cruz is pretty fantastic in it as well. Um, I always like her a lot better when she's in Spanish language films. I think she's a better actress. Um, in her native language rather than like as an English actress not that I think she's a bad actress and like I mean she's you know, great in like Blow and stuff but she's really good in this movie Um, it suffers a little bit from what I think is like that like mid to late 90s like people aren't necessarily comfortable with CGI yet and so they're like using like kind of outmoded like digital effects so there's a couple of scenes that are kind of hokey in the way that they use like the visual effects in it with like overexposure and like slowing down the film and stuff like that. But, um, you know, it's, it's, it's engaging and it's like pretty tense towards the end. And I think that it's, um, I like the fact that it's open-ended where you don't know really what his ultimate fate is. Like whether, did he really just kill himself right. or is he going to wake up? And I, I really like that. It's, it's all stuff that like the, the remake a few years later, like completely fails it at doing. Right. Okay, so I don't know if I need the, the the criticism for this, honestly. 
I'll, I'll go ahead and read Peter, Peter Stack's review of this in brief. Um, he criticizes the movie. He thinks it's fine, that it's intriguing. Um, he says it could have been a pleasure, but it's not because... He says the director seems to have made a wonderful film about sex, illusion, mirrors, masks, and emotional imprisonment. But he says it ends up having another agenda, which turns it into a psychological thriller, and it strays into a thick, absurdist plot about double identities, dream states, and cryogenics. He says the layers collide, and the film that had so much promise, um, even touches of suspense, collapses into a bewildering mess. Um, one can come away with uh, from open your eyes with glazed eyes and a puzzled frown. So I don't know if I agree completely with all of that, but I, I do fucking hate reviewers so much. Like, get, get, get the fuck out of here. I do. Is that, what that turn of phrase about? Yeah. 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 Fucking so I, I do a little bit, maybe not as much as he does agree with the idea that I think the last 30 minutes bring this movie down. I think it's really powerful and strong up into really the, the the real chaotic breakdown of him trying to them going to the offices like right. him the psychiatrist and then the rooftop scene and i really think that kind of brings the movie down the the sci-fi elements bring the movie down to me in some ways i was much more intrigued by the psychological makeup of this guy who gets disfigured and you know, this Lothario who's a prick who steals his right. friend's women like when he meets them and, you know, is completely self-obsessed and self-centered and what happens to him when he actually does become disfigured and he doesn't have that beautiful face anymore and what ends up happening to him then. And then it gets into the sci-fi elements of it. And that's actually, I don't think it's bad. It's just that's what loses me, and I actually think the sci-fi elements, to some degree, take away from the psychological tra- drama that was being told. Right, so I don't know that it's a much better psychological drama than it is a sci-fi movie. Like, I'll give you that. And maybe this is, like, my disdain for sci-fi is why, like, I'm okay with calling it sci-fi and, like, putting it on a list, because, like... I don't know that I think it falls apart, and I don't think it becomes muddled. Like I think it's pretty. I don't think it clear I, as to like what's being said. I, just, I think it's like what he says: the potential that I thought it could have had falters because so the thing, of the sci-fi elements. The thing that I like the the, the reason that I like the end of the movie and like why mm-hmm. I don't necessarily hundred percent agree with that right. is because what was what was the price that he was willing to pay to protect his fragile ego, mm-hmm. like his ego was destroyed and it's like he's a guy that lived on nothing but like his own like hubris basically yeah even like stealing his friend's girlfriend she's attractive to him not because she's attractive but because she's the woman that his friend brought right so the fact that he was willing to go to that extreme to basically end his own life to kill himself and to sign this contract to be cryogenically frozen and then you have to start to think like well psychologically what's happening inside himself that because as like the character for the first like 30 minutes of that movie before the accident happens you would think that psychologically he would create a perfect world where Mm -hmm. he still was the most handsome man and still was like 
able to take like any woman he wants and be mm-hmm. with this woman that he's supposedly in love with, but that there had to be something else inside him psychologically that was saying like you need to be punished for the way that you lived. And that's what he's doing is he's punishing himself. And it isn't until like he realizes that he's punishing himself that he's able to finally free himself, you know, and like let go of the idea that he is this perfect example of a human being. And just like, you know, that's him jumping off the roof at that point. And I I really like that. It's like, and I think that's a fine story, a good reflection of like this character. I'm not saying that I don't think it's a fine story. I think it's a fine story. I just think that it held more promise until they got into the sci-fi aspects of it. That I would have actually rather seen this man have to deal with it rather than go into the sci-fi element yeah. of what world does he create. It's our, it's our, it's your and I's argument about audition. I think, to some degree, um, it's like it audition tur- the Japanese yes. horror yes. movie. The the argument we've had about the two halves of that movie, where I wanted to see the 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 the, the, the drama play out. Before it turned into, not that the horror was bad, the horror is amazing in that, but I wanted to see the drama play out, and it's very similar here, where it's like, before the sci-fi turn happens, I want to see that drama play Mm. out, because I'm so invested in those characters, because I think the actors are amazing in this, including his friend. Like, his friend's really good at playing that role of the put-upon... But still willing to, like, forgive him. Sure. And be his friend. Because he's still... Still trying to about protect him. him, even though, like, he's, like, in a relationship with this woman. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I think it's I think it's fascinating, and I, yeah. I just would have liked to have seen that play out in a more realistic manner rather than the sci-fi version. That Not the sci-fi version is bad, it's just that I think I would have rather seen it play out in a different way. Yeah, it's interesting. I guess I just don't need, I guess, I suppose to an extent, like, I, I can agree with that. Yeah. You know, like, I think maybe I would like it more if, because honestly, it's like the first 50 minutes of this movie probably are much higher on this list than four. And then maybe it is that sci-fi that kind of lower it, but it's the sci-fi that places on the list, which is... Like, right, yeah, the ironic thing. Right, the, the irony. Right. Um, so yeah, I mean, maybe I agree with that. But in, in the form that it's in, and especially like as a counterpoint to Vanilla Sky, which is just terrible. Um, I thought this was so much better than Vanilla Sky. Vanilla Sky is just a mess of a movie. Yeah. Like, it's just not a good movie. And you never like any of those characters, sure. so it doesn't even matter. Yeah, well, I mean, come on. Like, it's Tom Cruise. Like, I... I, I, I the, the older I get, like, I... It's really hard for me to just see any Tom Cruise role as Tom Cruise... As anything right. other than Tom Cruise. See, but I blame it on Cameron Crowe. That movie's failure more than Tom Cruise. I think it's Cameron Crowe not having... I think Cameron Crowe is a guy that is incredibly talented when he's... 100% grounded in reality mm. and I think him being like pulled out of that like he's just not able to control that kind of movie mm. and I think that's where it falters more than and Cameron Diaz too but... oh right yeah, yeah, yeah I forgot about that right okay any final thoughts on this no you know it's it's a really it's for as much as like you know as weighty as the ideas are it's a really small movie and I think it's it's enjoyable to watch and if you've seen Vanilla Sky and actually want to see that done well, that's worth watching. And if you have the opportunity to see it, I think it's it's worth like you know the hour and a half of yeah. your time. Yeah, I agree. It's first time I've seen it. Yeah, I think it was. I think it was worth watching. Definitely. Okay, so number three on your list is 1995's Terry Gilliam Terry Gilliam movie Twelve Monkeys, also starring Bruce Willis, Madeline Stowe, Brad Pitt. 
John Seda, David Morris, and Christopher Plummer has an 89% on Rotten Tomatoes from critics and an 88% from audiences. Do you want to go ahead and tell us a little bit about the movie and what you like about it so much? Um, so Bruce Willis is a man from the future that's sent back in time to investigate the um, virus that led to humanity being driven underground. Um, they have like fragments of things that they want him to look at. Um, he's apprehended and considered to be insane um, where he's institutionalized with Brad Pitt and a bunch of other crazy people. Um, Madeline Stowe is a psychiatrist. Um, he escapes because he's pulled back into the future and then sent back again. What is it like five years later, I think, mm -hmm. or several years after he escaped um, where he then takes her prisoner, basically still trying to research. Um, in the end, it turns out that what they thought led to the release of this virus wasn't at all. It was like something, it was Brad Pitt's like, pseudo-revolutionary like animal rights group but all they did was release animals from the zoo and it was actually david morse's character who worked in like the viral research lab of brad pitt's dad that stole the viruses and let it out mm -hmm. and then it was really bruce willis all along um because throughout the movies you see scenes of young bruce willis like seeing this man get shot and this woman scream at him um, who looked nothing like Madeline Stowe and Bruce Willis. But it turns out that he watched himself die, basically, like, so his entire life, like, he's been really responsible for the guy getting away and the guy releasing the virus. And, mm. and Madeline Stowe, to an extent, because she kind of, like, is the one that plants all the 12 monkeys things, and that's why they think. Right. Um, it's Terry Gilliam, so it, I'm already pretty predisposed to like it. Mm-hmm. Um, I loved it in 95, one of my favorite movies of that year. Um, I thought it was pretty mind-blowing at the time. Um, I've seen it probably five or six times, I guess, mm. over the course of my life. Um, I find that I like it a little less every time I see it. Mm. Um, and I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that... I think I, I, think I appreciate Brad Pitt's performance less every time I see it. Because I find it just to be, like, incredibly hammy. Mm. And I know that it's supposed to be, but it's like... I don't know. There's also something... So, Brazil, one of my favorite movies of all time. Time Bandit's one of my favorite movies as a child. So I love Terry Gilliam's, like, very unique vision of things. Mm -hmm. But I find it to be a little... There's just something about it that I just don't particularly care for in this movie, like the futuristic stuff. Like, all the... It's almost like the fly's eye lens with, like, all the faces mm -hmm. when he's, like, being interrogated. And the way he uses close-ups and stuff, like, I just... I don't find it to be as entertaining as I did. When mm -hmm. I first... When we first talked about this, I thought this would be my number one movie. But then watching it again, like, I just... I don't know. Like, there's stuff in it I love. Yeah. And I think that it's... I think that when you deal with time travel in movies, that it becomes really difficult to like maintain a solid thread of believability for the viewer. And I think that this movie, because the time travel is all done sequentially, basically, mm -hmm. does a really good job of like holding that thread to a point where it's like at least within the context of like 
the laws of that universe like it makes sense yeah. what's happening um it's actually it's funny because it's gilliam directing like someone else's script entirely um and a lot of times when, when gilliam directs he's directing things that he's like passionate sure. about and um i think he was almost like i want to say this is just what like three or four years after baron munchausen and I know that he was kind of like... Four years, I believe. Yeah, like Persona Non Grata after Munchausen because like it was such a failure. Right. Um, financially. So, it's always interesting when like a great director takes someone else's script and like makes it their own. Um, it was inspired by a Chris Marker short film from like the mid-60s called um, La Jetty, which is in... It's inherently the same story, which is a guy in the future after like in a nuclear apocalypse who gets sent back in time to try and prevent the apocalypse and realizes that like he basically watched himself die like his entire life like the seminal moment of his childhood mm-hmm. watching this man get like murdered on this like jetty is mm-hmm. what like led him into his life and it was himself that he saw get murdered mm-hmm. um so they basically play on the same thing and i don't know la la told like mostly in still photographs and it's it's very experimental so this mm. is a much more watchable version of the same story mm. um but yeah like I, I i really like the time travel um bruce willis probably one of his best performances of his career yeah. um with his like savagery and his vulnerability and his mm. his ability to play confused and like him actually buying into the idea that he's crazy as Madeline Stowe realizes mm-hmm. that he's not, which is a pretty, um, actually like a really sad moment when he gets sent back and he convinces them that like, he needs to go back one more time to find this stuff out. And he goes back and he's ripping his teeth out. And, like yeah. he's actually like convinced himself that mm-hmm. <clears throat> none of these things are actually happening as she realizes that he's a hundred percent. Right. Um, and then that leading into the, I think, great homage to Vertigo, like when they're watching Vertigo and then the whole thing with her going to the bathroom and coming back in the blonde wig right, and yeah. it's uses rather than green, it's red, I think, uh-huh. is what she comes out like. Yeah, I, yeah it's 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 really good because it works thematically with Vertigo, too, really well. Um, <clears throat> I mean, Gilliam. Gilliam's best stuff is earlier in his career. <clears throat> and I think Moonchild is actually a great movie. Yeah, and I, I and, really and I love Fear and Loathing, which comes out two years after yeah. this. So, <clears throat> which really is, I mean, he he does he does some not so great stuff. Um, and we'll talk about some of that at some point. Yeah. Um, but this movie, definitely, you see a guy that like loves the story, and it's just like I don't know. Like, there's some really great scenes in this movie. Some really fun stuff it's pretty tense and the first time you see it i honestly think that it's 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 shocking when you realize like what mm-hmm. the end of the movie is and what's happening mm-hmm. um it typecast david morse as a bad guy for for a long time like the next decade because yeah. like there's no way you can look at david morse and not think of this apocalyptic psychopath that's going to like release and he's in a bunch was, of movies after that where he up, got up until his death. He got to play 13 episodes in a show called Hack where he was the good guy. That was it. Every time else I think I've seen him, he's a villain. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, but great performances in it. Except for, like, again, like, I just find Brad Pitt to be, it's just too much. See, I, my only comment that I made on this movie, honestly, because I was in a hurry, was, this is the best movie on this list, and if it's not number one, I will be angry. (laughs) So, I guess I'm a little angry. Okay. But, I... I didn't make any other comments on that. And it's like, I, I, I've seen that criticism of Pitt's character, like his acting, uh, when I've been doing research on this and like reading reviews. I see Pitt, I, I can see where some people would think it's hammy. Personally, I think it's, it's almost like watching a 1940s actor. Like, because like a lot, like especially when he's like, how do I want to say this? <coughs> He's, he's crazy pretending to be sane a lot of times. Pretending to be saner than what he is when he's in the mental asylum. Right. When he's in, I like, the noirish elements of the party scene. Like, the way that Gilliam shoots yes. the angles that's, in that. that. That's a brilliant scene. I love the way he's... It's very classical in the way of... In the sense of him being in the tuxedo and pretending now he's like he's crazy you know he's still pretending to be sane but that craziness is coming out and i see it's a very classical performance as opposed to a hammy performance and so, maybe that's the difference like classical can be hammy or so maybe like here's that. my problem and like whenever we talk about a lot of movies we talk about it's a lot of my love for them is based in nostalgia so, I thought Brad Pitt was amazing when I saw this in 95. Yeah. So, it was like a 17, 18-year-old kid. Like, I thought it was a fantastic performance by Brad Pitt. And I find now there to be, like, a lot of... I understand what you're saying. And I think that you're 100% right, and that's the intent of the performance. But I just find a lot of, like... Like, I thought Brad Pitt was awesome in 7 when I first saw it. And watching Seven now, I don't think it's a very good performance. Yeah. I I think Brad Pitt came into his own as an actor... Later. Much later in his life. And I think Brad Pitt's an excellent actor now. Sure. But I think that there's just this youthful... Lack of knowledge of the real world that informs his performances. Where you don't necessarily get... It's fun. You know what? Like Brad Pitt's really funny in Twelve Monkeys, and he's got a really he's got a lot of lines that make you chuckle. I think he's fun, and the writing is fun. I don't know if he's. I don't think he finds his comedic timing until later in life, and I think that's when he becomes right. a good actor. But there's stuff in this movie, like the way that he like flips people off of like sure, sure, yeah, not yeah. like extending. He, his he's he's fingers. excellent at mannerisms, all right. Right. Yeah. You know, and so yeah. there's things like that where I think like he's making it his own character. I don't think he's excellent at. Like facials yet, yeah, like you I know just, where it's like he's like, he's use, using his face to express things to for comedic effect. Right. It's. I don't think he's gotten there yet. Everything is bombast, and yes. there's not enough like, like he's not holding enough back to give it like enough humanity. Mm-hmm. And I know that it's like it's it's science fiction, and it's see that's where I'm saying I think in the party scene he does. I think it sh- I right. Think it shows I, that. I agree with that. He does a really good job. And actually, Gilliam... He's actually I, really menacing in that scene. I don't know if it's on purpose, uh, like if it's a choice of Gilliam's or if, if Pitt chose to do it, but it's pretty brilliant. 
like he's got his hair all pulled back and he's very well manicured mm-hmm. and then the second that he starts to break that veneer like that one piece one t- of hair fucking just like flops fucking, forward fucking brilliant and is yes. like bobbing in front of his face and mm-hmm. it's like just this small little visual cue that like unraveled right that he's yep. coming unraveled yep. and the way that gilliam films it like you're right it's very noir-esque where it's like looking heavy up shadows in the background and, and he's looking Dutch down angles, and like yep. the pointing in mm-hmm. the until Willis escapes, yeah. and it's 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 pretty brilliant. Yeah. Like I think Gilliam is an amazing director, and I I I think this movie is really well directed. It's just there's some. I think Madeline Stowe is maybe one of her best performances. Yeah, I think I she's amazing that. in this. I there's think there's some real menace to it too, like when Brad Pitt or when um, uh, fucking um, god damn it, Bruce Willis kills the two homeless dudes mm-hmm. in like mm-hmm. the the amphitheater like that's that's a pretty uncomfortable and terrible scene and it's it's actually funny that that's the scene i think where she connects with him the most yes and she's willing to like forgive him murdering someone because Mm -hmm. he saved her sure um it's a really look it's it's a really good movie it's honestly probably a better movie than the number one and number two choice it is a better movie like overall but just like i don't know as pure sci-fi like i think it's just there's a little bit to it that there's i don't know what it is and maybe it is just that i think that well it's... let me so let, let's see if variety has anything to say maybe they'll they'll pinpoint it because i i think maybe they do actually in one sense so they say that unlike the satirically Orwellian brazil the current picture by gilliam lacks humor and sharp commentary <sighs> And its look and tone are incoherent, changing from sequence to sequence with Gilliam displaying his penchant for fantasy and multiple time frames to little dramatic or emotional effect. As always with Gilliam's films, the first reel is suspenseful and engaging, but gradually the yarn loses its grip, meanders from one context to another with escapes and chases to pump up the proceedings. Gilliam piles on elements of mystery, doom, mythology, romance, and even whimsy, but by the end, when the conundrum of the Twelve Monkeys is revealed... There's not only a sense of deja vu, but a genuine dissatisfaction. Unfortunately, the stellar cast can't overcome the cartoonish nature of their characters. Willis is well cast as a reluctant silent hero, though playing a victim manipulated by the system may not be what audiences expect of an action hero. Stowe is ethereally beautiful as ever, but she can't find interesting dimensions in her psychiatrist role. Fans of Pitt may be disappointed by his deglamorized look and put off by his eccentric over the top rendition of madness. So forgetting the actors real quick and and the descriptions there, is it that I wonder if things you said make me think that the idea that it like lacks humor and sharp commentary might be somewhere in the vicinity of what you're Well, okay, so the what you what you've been saying in some maybe, in some the, way? the first problem with that review you can't compare this movie to Brazil because Brazil is an entirely is a fully realized dystopian fable based out of Terry Gilliam's imagination 100%. And it takes place in a completely different even though it's like quote unquote earth, it's a completely different earth than what we live in. Mm-hmm. 12 Monkeys 60% of it takes place in 1990 to 1995 right. in the real world. Right. Like with things that I mean, not not necessarily things that actually happened, but things that could have happened. Mm-hmm. And so, like, talking, I don't know. Like, that's, 
it's apples and oranges. Like, they're two different right. things. Like, even though they're both, like, I guess kind of dystopian movies, like, mm-hmm. it's just different. And it's also, like, you can't criticize Gilliam for not having the same whimsy because he's not directing his own words. Like, he's directing a script written by somebody else. I don't... To me, it's just small things. It's, it's, it's honestly, it's, it's the stuff in the future with like the doctors. Yeah. It, I don't know what it is about that, but I just yeah. like, there's this tipping point in the nineties because there's a couple of movies that could have been on this list and it's stuff like dark city, but like, I think dark city was influenced by like city of lost children, for instance. Mm-hmm. And it's the same idea. It's like, there was this point, like the brothers Quay were making all their like stop motion animation things and everything had this like dirty gritty rusted like the future is this like shithole basically Mm -hmm. look and it just kind of like wore thin to me i guess and maybe i still feel that way where i just i don't necessarily find that version of the future to have any appeal really which is why like and city of lost children i think is an amazing movie or and delicatessen too both in the 90s and that's why they're not on the list I mean, Honestly. I get what you mean about it wearing thin, but that's because you've seen so much of it. Like, I think that it, I think it's supposed to feel gross and it off-putting. Is. In I just think I don't necessarily care for that movie. Yeah, okay. And I think maybe when I was like six, seventeen, or eighteen, yeah. like I was good with it. Yeah. And I thought it was cool, but I've like, it's just I'm kind of tired of that now. And so, like, that's why, like, watching it in you know 2019 right you're tired of the story of it though to some degree because yeah because it's, it's just too easy yeah okay Honestly. that's fine okay because uh, the aesthetic makes sense right it does i mean look in fact i was reading about this that they purposely only use technology from before the time in the future even if it looks more advanced it was only technology that existed in 1995 before the plague hit it was just an not an advancement of that technology but different uses of that right. same technology because the technology didn't advance past that point so even though there's multiple screens set up they've just taken the same technology and there's five screens set up next yeah. to one another and those kind of things and i i think that stuff's pretty cool like in the way they do it and it's fine but again like to me, and i also just... think it's kind of funny I, I'll be honest. I think the stuff in the future at times is there, funny. There is some really funny stuff, like when they're singing to him. When, when they're singing to him because he's gone mad. I mean, like right. you know, but it's like they're singing to him. The fact that they're they're so positive, they're sending him to. We're getting, we're sending you to 1995 this time. Don't worry. <laughs> and they ended up sending him into World War Two or whatever right. it seems like. World War One. World War One. <laughs> it's like it's hilarious. Like I mean, I think some of that stuff's really funny. Um, it's 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 i mean it's this like really like tongue-in-cheek view of like scientists in a lot of ways who do not come off well in this movie whatsoever like science no. at all <laughs> but i think some of the stuff's really yeah because christopher Plummer's like a southern dandy drunk sure like you don't ever get the impression that this guy's like the cutting edge virologist and who doesn't appear particularly ethical either right and then you have a. Uh, crazed zealot of some sort who's yeah. spreading the virus and you know the scientists in the future yeah, don't come off too. well the psychiatrists don't particularly who uh for, what is, is what's his name frank gorshin is that his name um yeah they played the riddler uh, like i 
I always love every time I see him pop up in something small, and uh, like I think he's good in this, but he doesn't come off well as a psychiatrist. The cops don't either, really. No, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, hmm. so but yeah, I don't know. I I I think this is th- this would have certainly been on my list. I think if I had a top five list for this decade on sci-fi, like right, but so with Gattaca and Dark City. So I don't know. No, Dark City was not on there. Oh, okay. That was one I forgot, but hmm. just to mention. No, the Starship Troopers and Strange Days. Strange Days. <laughs> Let's move on to number ever, two. Have you ever jacked in? Have you ever wire tripped? <clears throat> See, that's what I mean. Like, it's so lame. Like, I oh, that trailer's fantastic. Hate Don't science fiction so much. It's it's fun. It's fun. Strange Days fun movie. It just makes me tired. Okay. All right. Let's go ahead and move on to number <laughs> two. Okay. Moving on to number two on the top five movies that Frank kind of likes from 90 sci-fi is Perfect Blue, also from 1999, directed by Satoshi Khan, Hideki Hamazum, and Hisio Shirai. It is... 76 on Rotten Tomatoes from critics and 88 from audiences. You want to tell us a little bit about the plot of this movie, Frank, and what you like about it so much, and also why this <laughs> is considered a sci-fi movie. <clears throat> um, so the movie follows uh, uh, Mima, who's a J-pop idol, who chooses to retire from her um, pop group to pursue an acting career, uh, much to the chagrin of like her fans and her manager. Um, as she, like, pursues this acting career, um, she becomes the victim of, like, stalking from a crazed fan, um, which also coincides with a series of pretty gruesome murders of people that are related to her transition from pop idol to actress. Um, she starts to lose the ability to discern reality from fiction, um, to the point where she starts to see like a mirror version of herself who still wants to be a pop idol and is critical of her choices in acting. Um, she becomes more popular as an actress um, in the role that she's in, which is like a serial killer uh, TV serial. Um, and eventually confronts the doppelganger um who chases her in this, like what I think is a pretty incredible scene um, to the end where she ends up breaking free and realizing that the person that like her perception of reality was being influenced by um, her manager who wanted to be her um, and ends up in the end, like being able to move on and grow from it. Um, It's more, I guess it's more fantasy than science fiction Um, just in like the, the way that Khan like makes the reality seem where she's seeing things that as the viewer, you don't know if they're real or not. Um, it does a really good job with Mima of kind of bringing into question her own sanity. Um, and whether or not she, whether she's comfortable with like the transition into this more adult role as an actress, um, including like, photo shoots where she's like nude and um complete different from like this squeaky clean pop idol persona that she had um 
I think it's a fantastic psychological thriller. Um, I love the art style in it. Um, this is a it's, it's an anime. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you said that in the beginning. No, I, I did not. Um, one of my favorite animes from the nineties. Um, I think one of the best like animated movies ever made, in my opinion. Um, it's got a lot of really tense scenes uh, where she's fighting for her life. Um, it does a good job of keeping you in suspense as to who the killer really is, um, including making you think that this the guy that's stalking her, her number one fan, quote unquote, is the one that's doing the murders when in reality he's just being manipulated as well. Um, I don't know, it's just it's it's a beautiful movie. Uh, the use of color in it's pretty amazing. Um, I think that a lot of times, like animated movies especially from this time period like anime gets dismissed by most people who are into like quote-unquote serious film um but i think it's got a lot of really great like noirish elements to it um i think it's a really taut intense psychological thriller and i think the distortion of reality like bends it far enough into the realm of the fantastic that that's why i would consider it like a sci-fi movie in that respect okay Alright, so, <clears throat> overall I thought this was, I would classify as a psychological thriller, and I thought that it was still, it's, just, it's a good movie. Like, overall, I think it does the thriller aspect pretty well. I think if it was live action, it wouldn't work as well, for some reason. Right, I think that's right. Uh, I, I don't know why I have that opinion, I just felt like there's something about it being animated that makes it more interesting like otherwise it's a it's a plot of criminal minds or something you know i mean it's sure and and, and, in a live action form it just wouldn't work it would be cheap i think in some ways but i thought this worked pretty well and um i think it developed a solid mystery overall uh so one critic rob blackwelder of spliced wire uh doesn't think that necessarily that the that the mystery he says is nothing more than a bunch of cheap nonsensical twists and that the overall female lead Mima is a pretty worthless heroine overall and that none of the characters are too bright so really it just ends up becoming cheap because the characters are just not very bright and uh nobody acts like a real human being would act I don't know if I agree with that. I mean, I, I honestly, I've never seen the dub version of this, and I know that there's one that exists um, that was released like at the time it was released on mm-hmm. DVD. But like the the sub version, like I I think that those voice actors do a good job of. Yeah, I never I've never seen the dub version. Like making them believable characters. I mean, she's she's really young. The character herself, she's like in her early twenties. Um, she's led a pretty sheltered existence up to that point and is sort of like fully coming into her own. I mean, this is a character that doesn't even understand like how the internet works early in the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and who yeah. kind of just has this basic existence where she's a pop idol, but she kind of just comes home and sits by herself and eats the same meal and feeds her fish. And I don't know that she's necessarily like, psychologically equipped to handle the idea of people being murdered around her and also to handle the idea of transitioning from you know like a teenage 
like existence to an adult existence. Mm-hmm. And I, I mean, I think that the movie does a good job of like portraying like her growth up until the end where she's mature and able to move past, you know, like the events that, you know, that her manager basically tried to murder her and take her place and killed all these people. It's got some pretty gruesome scenes of like, yeah, that's the other criticism of it is that uh, Wendy Eyed from The Guardian praises a lot of elements of the movie, but says that she found it very hard to get past the eroticized approach to rape and sexual violence, which is a pervasive stain on this otherwise intriguing film. So, but that's like a lack of understanding of the culture that it's portraying. I mean, one of the things, and I don't know that like Japanese film has necessarily ever moved away from it, but... Like, rape, rape culture is pretty prevalent in Japan. Mm-hmm. And the fact that, like, they're making her a star by filming her in rape scenes. I mean, it's it's pretty common that that happens to mm-hmm. Japanese actresses. Um, it is fetishized. Mm-hmm. And I don't think it's fetishized. Like, I don't think it's erotic, like any of those scenes. I think it's right. uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Um, it's definitely portrayed, like, especially the male actor apologizing to her for... Mm-hmm. Like, basically having to do the scene with her, but it's like they're sure. forced into it because that's how they're going to bolster their ratings, basically. Right. Yeah. Um, and she's not comfortable with it. You know, she's... There's the scene after the rape scene where she's, you know, like, basically crestfallen in her house by herself mm-hmm. because she's has a difficult time, you know, like, reconciling herself with it yeah. having happened. Um, But, I mean, that's, that's just Japanese culture. Like, mm-hmm. it's... It's easy, I guess, from, like, a Western perspective to be like, oh, well, this is just, like, gross titillation or whatever. But, like, it's, I mean, there's a whole series of movies and that are about, like, rape. And, know, it, and, in fact, this movie is actually trying to expose that culture right. and condemn it. Right. It's 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 not a, again, you're not meant to be, like. You're not supposed to be turned on by right. watching a scene. You're supposed, you're supposed to, to be horrified. comfortable and yeah. feel bad for. Sure. Um. So I don't know. Like I think that's, yeah. I think I, I think that's a ill-informed opinion based on like I mean whatever. I mean it's her opinion and right, yeah. I can understand like somebody not being comfortable with it, but you're not supposed to be comfortable. Right. With yeah. It, so right. She's not comfortable with it. You know. Sure. Yeah. Uh, I think my probably major I don't know my major complaint, but I don't know how how serious it is, uh, how much it hurts the movie. Is I just felt like Mima didn't have a lot of character development in it. Like, yeah, she gets from point A to B, but it, there's not enough time spent with that development to me for it to feel earned. So it's supposed to be poignant when she goes to visit the handler in the psychiatric hospital and she gets in the car and you have the scene with her like adjusting the you know, rear view mirror and sees herself in it and it's supposed to be represents some sort of growth, right, but it's right. like, I think that growth is vague and tenuous. I, I don't know what it is necessarily. And I think it's doesn't feel earned throughout the movie. Does that make sense? I mean, I understand what you're saying. Yeah, okay. I, I don't know that I necessarily agree with that. Yeah. I don't, the movie's not, nece- not long enough really to have that much growth. Yeah. And because it's so, I mean, really, it's it's focused on the murders, and it's focused right, on the mystery yeah. of, like, who's sure. committing these murders. And, like, I, I love the scenes of the doppelganger Mima, like, bouncing along the mm-hmm. 
like the, the um, street lights and yeah. like floating outside her window and mm-hmm. then when it's revealed like who it is you know you have to question like how is that even possible or right were you actually seeing that or were you just seeing like her i don't know mm. it, it's always difficult i think when you watch a movie in a foreign language like even subtitled or dubbed i agree to really you miss a lot of subtext yeah like understand all that mm-hmm. subtext so sure. maybe the growth is more apparent like if you actually maybe. speak sure. japanese or yeah maybe it's not and maybe your criticism is right like i guess yeah. i just don't mind that yeah. much because i understand like i said i don't uh, even though it's my biggest complaint with the movie i don't know if it's maybe i reverse the words i don't know if it's a major complaint even though I it's mean, my biggest one he's he's a brilliant director satoshi kone no it's 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 beautifully done and i mean yeah and the editing is really well done in terms of i think establishing tension uh yeah i and like after this he's got a movie called paprika which is similar right. in concept yeah okay. of like the perception of reality but much right. more fantastical sure um which would have been my choice had it not been released in like 2001 i think or something yeah um and then millennium actress which is really good i mean he's he's a pretty amazing director in that respect um especially with taking like more adult themes and making like these movies these mm-hmm. animated movies about like the concepts of like what is reality and loss and what is time and i mean he he really he confronts a lot of pretty like weighty issues um i don't know i just i i've always really liked it i thought it was really impressive when i first saw it like this this is when i was watching a lot of anime during this time period and um i bought it on dvd probably for like 30 dollars from saturday matinee or something when it came out um but i was pretty blown away by it and then watching it again like for these movies like i still really enjoyed it mm-hmm. i mean it's I, I think it's hard for some people to sit down and watch anime and take it seriously but if there's any movie that i think you can take seriously it's this one especially because it's not like giant robots or i, I mean i think I, I i think i agree with that because i think i'm one of those people that have a hard time taking anime seriously sometimes even though there's certainly animes that i like a lot um that i've seen i have a hard time taking seriously because what, what did my ignorant ass think that you were putting on the list when akira. akira yeah right what did i call it the tentacle movie right <laughs> which took me a second because the tentacle movie in regards to anime usually means something else uh, sure right 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 yes so um like you're at sukadoji yeah so but yeah so i got confused about what damn anime you were putting on the list um, i love akira too i think akira is 88 though I don't think it cares in the nineties. I think it's yeah. I think it's eighty eight. Well, right it's probably, probably confusing with another damn movie that I maybe don't respect. Probably like um, Akira's difficult. Ghost in the Shell is that nineties? No, Ghost in the Shell is a good movie. Okay, um, so, but I this is more up my alley than those type of things are, just because it is kind of this. Again, it's kind of like a noirish at times right. in some scenes, but it's like a, it's just a thriller, and and it's a psychological thriller that I, can, I also like the fact that like. I can get behind that. The killings kind of mime the TV show that they're absolutely. Making. I thought that's fascinating. Like, I, I really well, like the rape the does that, too. It does. The rape, the rape on the television show ends up being mirrored by the the stalker, the stalker. trying to rape her. Um, you know, on, in the same place. Super Mima fan or whatever. Yeah, yeah, uh-huh. yeah, yeah. Um, um, that's really uncomfortable. And how art show. like ends up like you know this yeah. that question of like you know. Uh, 
what's influencing what in terms of art and reality and those kind of things. I, I thought there's a lot of interesting themes in this movie, and I thought that it, it does a good job of trying to expose that culture. I think it does a good job of like trying to discuss what happens to young people when fame hits them. And I mean, you think of around this time period, it's like we had plenty of American examples of women that were going through that. Britney Spears, right. like, you know. Christina Aguilera. Yeah, and... You know, I mean, how many, a few years after this, were exposed to nationally, like, Britney Spears, like, right. kind of, like, losing her damn mind. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think it, I think it kind of, like, brings that issue a little bit to the forefront of what sure. we do to young teens uh, when we make them national celebrities, especially through sexualize them. And, and having, like, the main character mm-hmm. of a movie be a woman is pretty, pretty bold, I think, for... Like a major anime release, yeah, and not, yeah. not a woman that's like Sailor Moon or right, you know, yeah. some hyper stylized, sure, superpowers like, or right. something along those lines. Yeah, it's just uh, yeah, basically just a normal person trying to transition from childhood to adulthood. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. I mean, I I really enjoy it. I think it's a really yeah. fun not not fun, but I think it's an interesting and compelling movie to watch, and I think it's beautiful. Like I love the animation style in it. I always love the anime that takes place in, like, the real world where there's not, Mm -hmm. like, the fantastical. And I I like those things, but, like, just the slice of life, you know, where she's on the subway and walking through the street and living in this tiny little apartment. Yeah, he does some fascinating stuff with some of that with, like, mirrors and stuff like that at times and the way things, yeah. Yeah, uh, things that would be impossible without, like, CGI in a regular movie. Sure, sure they can do and sort of like draw you into it right like with the visual like how compelling the visuals are yeah i, I thought a lot of that was really interesting so yeah i i, I like the movie I, I still don't know if i understand why it's sci-fi but um <laughs> I wanted to so let's move on to number one on the list number one on the list is also from 1999 uh it is the matrix it is directed by lillian lana wachowski Starring Keanu Reeves, Lawrence... Was it Lillian Lana Wachowski at the time? Not at the time, but it is now. Um, starring Keanu Reeves, Lawrence Fishburne, Carrie Ann Moss, Hugo Weaving, and Joe Pantoliano. It is an 88 from critics and an 85 from audiences. So this is probably the most popular movie, I would think, on this list. Yeah. So if you want to briefly explain what the plot of the movie is and what you like about it so much. Um, that basically gets drawn into this other universe by this band of techno pirates, basically, who tell him that the reality that he ex- experiences isn't the actual reality of the world. Um, he finds that he could possibly be this the one or whatever. Um, so basically like a Christ figure, the savior of like the actual world. Um and that to save the actual world, he has to learn how to like utilize these powers within the confines of the quote unquote matrix, which is this virtual reality that's been laid on top of the actual reality to control and harvest humans. Um, so he eventually learns to control his powers. Uh, one of my favorite scenes in any sci-fi movie ever, like towards the end where he's like able basically to manipulate time and space to defeat, um, the Hugo Weaving, Agent Smith characters. Um, I think it's it's. I think it's a pretty compelling idea. 
the idea that like we're not living in an actual reality we're living in like a virtual reality which is kind of like a boring idea to me most of the time but i think in this respect like it's done really well and i think that's heightened by the um them actually showing like the world underneath the world where it's this dismal like labyrinth of wire and birthing pods and concrete and like i love the visuals of the the quote-unquote real world um i really like the superhero aspect of neo as a character you know being able to like basically becoming superman in a lot of ways um i think in hindsight like looking at the wachowskis as creators you know and like what they've both of them like transitioning um I guess what would transgender, I suppose is what you would call Mm -hmm. them. Yeah. Um, like just that, like the Genesis point of that, like the idea that you're not what the world made you, you're what you make yourself. Sure. Um, which is like basically the through line of every movie they've ever made. Right. Um, but really well done here and Mm -hmm. done in a way where it's, if you don't care about like the philosophical, or ideological implications of any of that. Like, it still is an incredibly fun action movie. And if you want to think more about it, like, there actually is some sort of, like, ham-fisted, but there is some philosophical weight to those ideas. When you initially told me that this movie was on the list, I cringed a little inside. I was like, oh. Are you really going to make me watch this fucking movie? And it ended up being the last one that I ended up watching. Um, that's also the night that I went to the bar. But um, I don't know if those two things are connected or not either. But I like this movie still. Like, I liked it when it came out. I thought it was a good action movie. It's not those themes didn't cross my mind, like, while I was watching it. But I don't think it's... I don't think that it's... Um, held back at all by like being too ham-fisted right whatsoever i think you could just sit there and watch it as a good science fiction action movie and i enjoyed it then i thought the first 30 minutes drug a little bit in this movie watching it again like until it gets to the point where he's pulled through completely right and then i think it picks up because those action elements increase and the training montages and all those kind of things start happening i think it becomes much more interesting and um and i really enjoyed like the the last you know hour and a half of it a lot and i had a good time watching it i mean there's definitely like homage to a bunch of different things sure so you can tell that like they love john woo they love kung fu action movies Mm -hmm. they love the idea of like superman and Mm -hmm. you know they're very much into um it's very like anime influenced and like the fight scenes and the way that that works um I think why I reacted that way though is because in the context of two and three, right? So, like I, when you said when you said the Matrix, it's like I can't disassociate. It was hard for me in my mind ever since this came out or those movies came out. I guess that to disassociate the first one now with two and three, which are fucking messes, right? And I personally don't even think about two and yeah. three. Like to me, the Matrix is. This movie works so well as a standalone movie where if you just take it at the end where he's right. like cracked the code sure, and you can just extrapolate on your own that like right. he's now going to like save that world. Sure. You don't need two and three. Right. And it's the problem is that 
and I don't know if it's a problem because it's really hard to criticize people for like one of the things I'm not a huge fan of the Wachowskis as filmmakers and I really only like a couple other movies, Mm -hmm. but I really respect the fact that like they're so invested in making movies that speak to them Mm -hmm. and to their own experience and trying to make movies that reach out to other people through that experience that it's hard to criticize like ideologically what they're doing, but they just don't do a very good job of like actually making the movie when it comes down to like the the second matrix has some really bad scenes but it also has some some good scenes mm. the third matrix is like an absolute mess and it's just a terrible movie for like a culmination yeah. of like whatever this trilogy but taken by itself the the matrix like this movie does everything that those other two movies want to do and does it in the 90 whatever three minute like encapsulation and tells you everything you need to know like you right. honestly don't need two and three or the animatrix sure. or whatever yeah. to like make sense of that world because it does it all for you yeah yeah no and i agree with you about the wachowskis i i i'm not a big fan of a lot of what they do like certain certain that netflix show they did a couple years ago since eight, since yeah. eight like i didn't care like which is weird i saw parts of it and right. I, I didn't care for it and i think I think you're right. Like they, they are people that are about in, in capturing an experience and trying to pass on an experience that contains political, sociological, and philosophical thought right. within it. And it is a lot of times their experience, their feelings that are being encapsulated in these stories and then passed along. And I, I heard uh, Pete Buttigieg say recently, I thought it was a good line, where it was like he said that like he's talking about how you know he he can't understand what others feel but he can explain how his experiences and see if they rhyme with other people and i think the thing is is that it doesn't always rhyme with me is right. the idea that like so it's like i appreciate what they're doing but it's not always going to be my thing well because it's never small with them right it never just be like a personal intimate yeah. story it's always based on this supernatural superhuman element of like almost like breaking through the facade of the world to be something other than like what you were born as, like something right. like so much greater. Sure. Which in theory, like I really appreciate sure, yeah. that ideology, yep. but I just think it kind of comes off as hand fisted a lot of times with them. Yeah. Um, the other movie I like of theirs a lot is the V for Vendetta um, adaptation, hmm. which I think they do a really good job of. And again, mm. Hugo Weaving is in it. And, sure. Um, Natalie Portman does a great job and, you know, it's kind of like that. I mean, the, the source material, like the Alan Moore um, limited series comic, is fantastic. Yes. So I mean, they had like right. great source material yeah. to work from. Uh-huh. Um, and I think they capture a similar feel to that in The Matrix. And I think it's like it's, it's their debut film, right? Yeah, I believe so. Um, as a debut film, like it's incredibly powerful. And honestly, when I watched it, so it had been out for a month or so. Mm-hmm. Before I actually went and saw it in the theater. I was working at the theater at the time. Um, and it had made all this money and people were talking about how great it was. And I just kind of blew it off because it was sci-fi and I mm-hmm. didn't care. But then when I watched it, like, it really feels... Like, to me, it's it's the real genesis of what we have now in superhero movies. Like, being able to tell a self-contained origin yeah. story sure. about someone with superpowers that feels 
relatable. And I think that a lot of like yeah. what's come after that comes from the fact that you can kind of relate to Neo as an actual person. Um, Keanu Reeves is, you know, like transition from being the dopey comedic actor to being like an action star, which basically carries him like through the present day. Sure. I mean, the job I'm not. Sure, I'm not sure if that's justified, but sure. He's my favorite current action star. Honestly, I love the John Wick movies. I, I'll be honest, because it happened after 2008, I haven't seen it. But I haven't, <laughs> I haven't seen any of them. Um, I just think Keanu's. I, I look. I don't hate Keanu Reeves. Like I think he's he's fine. He's a good dude. I, I can't hate Keanu Reeves because he's a good dude. Right. Like what? He like donates like all of his damn money. He keeps. He keeps like you know. He he keeps all of his family taken care of he donates all the rest of his money the dude just wants to act in movies and have a band right. you know i who how can i hate Hang him? Out with his fans sure right i how can i hate on him and he's making bill and ted three next year right. like with alex winter which i'm actually really excited about yeah that's pretty awesome um so i i can't hate on the dude it's just keanu's keanu and you it's should, like he's you, just dumb and confused most of the time you should watch john wick John Wick is seriously one of my favorite action movies of the past, like, okay, all right, decade ish. John um, Wick reminds me, I'll watch it. I mean, but look, it's like I, I think Akiano is like, he look, he's finding this role because he's a guy who's been pulled into this world he never knew existed, and then he's being told he's the one. And it's like, I get it, he can be dumb and confused, kind of, for a lot of this movie, and it's okay. But it's like he's also dumb and confused when he plays Constantine, and it's like right. that's just well, a disaster. He's dumb and confused when he's little Buddha. He's dumb and confused when he's, he's supposed to be dumb and confused there. Um, I mean that's his bread and butter. This is being dumb and confused. I think most of the time, as opposed to being an, an action star, but. I just think Keanu is very limited and I think he it's the strength I think he f- survives here and he survives in other movies based off the cast that's around him. I think right. he feeds off the rest of the cast. And to talk about that, like so, Carrie Ann Moss does a great job. Sure. Lawrence Fishburne is fantastic in this yeah. movie and Hugo yeah. Weaving is Oh yeah, Hugo Weaving perfectly yeah. menacing yes. like a, like almost like yeah. a perfect arch- archetypical yeah. villain. Yeah. Keanu Reeves is really good in Point Break because and I will never say this ever again in my life for anything probably is because Swayze is fantastic in that movie. You're right. Point Break's a really good movie. It me. is, yeah. It, oh, it's a great movie. And it's like the, the, the questionable thing is the casting and it's like Swayze's against type is fantastic. And I think he brings Keanu up a little bit like, you know, in that role. So is Busey, I think, in some ways too. Yeah. Oddly enough. So anyway, so I really enjoy The Matrix. Um... I, I think I think it escapes a lot of the trappings of standard sci-fi that I dislike. Um, and we were talking off off air about because you're asking me about Strange Days, like why I don't like it, and like Strange Days, Lawnmower Man, Virtuosity, like any movie that deals with like this virtual reality as being the almost like this dystopian future where we're all escaping our real lives by hacking into some like idealized version of the real world and that leads to disaster like to me this is like a really interesting anti-take on that where we're already in 
that, you know, and like mm-hmm. we have to break out of it to like actually live in the real world. And, you know, I think that there's a lot of, a lot of merit to that idea. Not, not that it actually, like I believe it or anything, but you know, if like, that's what intrigues me from a science fiction perspective, not that technology is our doom or whatever. Like mm-hmm. I, I hate those movies. Like that's really boring to me. Mm-hmm. And I've been preached to now for 30 plus years of my life. that technology is going to be my doom. And it ain't happened yet, so as I like, sit here with my iPhone. And, with your iPhone buzzing right. and you keep checking it every so often? You keep texting me. Leave me right, there. yeah. So so what could it be that technology has already been your doom and you don't recognize it because you're living in something similar to the Matrix already? Right, that's fine. A self-created world that where, like, you know, you are one with that device and... The all the things that have been preached to you, you just ignored. Right, but it didn't cause the end of the world, like in fucking Strange Days, you know? It's, I'm not jacked in, you know what I mean? Like, it's like, that's, that's fucking You're wire-tripping right now. Right, I, I might be wire-tripping, man. Uh, um, why do you add Why do you add man onto that every single know, time? Like, it seems like what they would say is man. Yes. You jacked in, man. So I, I do want to read... Lisa Schwartzbaum, because we never get to talk about Entertainment Weekly ever um, on here. And I think you probably remember Lisa Schwartzbaum's reviews, or at least remember her from Entertainment Weekly in those days and her reviews. Um, I want you to pay attention to how many times she references Hong Kong in this review. She says, in fact, the real soullessness here is built into the production, a polished adaptation of Hong Kong-style filmmaking that with its cast of depressive characters, allows for a little Hong Kong-style joy. For little Hong Kong-style joy. With stunt work supervised by a veteran choreographer, uh, Yu Wo Ping, um, whose father worked with Jackie Chan, and groundbreaking special effects, The Matrix sells itself as a gaudy, chop-socky concoction with expensive Hollywood action details, a blast of Holly Kong glitz that never approaches the stylistic cohesiveness of, say, John Woo's face-off, or the charisma of that film's star, John Travolta. Stop, stop, stop. Reeves and Fishburne can flip and scramble all they want, like the Hong Kong action movies they aspire to, but to an audience in Erd to spectacle... Uh, flipping and scrambling demonstrations don't raise the pulse of this conv- convoluted yet rudimentary yarn. God, it's like tongue twisters, she writes. The moral of the Matrix, I think, is that people who spend too much time staring at the computer screen and not enough time enjoying healthy physical activity like Kung Fu are perceptible to brainwash. Of course, if we ramble... If we ramble understood more about the moves Keanu's Keanu Reeves to express emotion, any emotion, we wouldn't be wasting so much time jacked into the internet, pouring over Reeves' websites looking for clues for his Buddha-like passivity. That's Have true. you ever heard like a like a just a worse review? Well, you've read me reviews that I think maybe are worse. Really, I think from a writing style standpoint, it might be one of the it's, worst. It's I've, really bad. I've, I've, I've read you. The ones that are bad or at least are just how written in lay person language from regular people. How do you yearn for the purity of these Hong Kong films and then use the term like chop sake? Chop sake concoction. She's got racist. alliteration in there. Like it's, yeah. it's, 
okay, first of all, and you and I disagree on this movie, but like Face Off, really? Like that's the movie you pick is Face Off? We disagree. You like it? No. Oh, no. I don't know. No, I hate that movie. I think Face Off is fun. Yeah, okay. I think Face Off yeah, the is Yeah, the disagreement is the fact that you liked it and I don't. Like, I want to make that I clear. I <laughs> like Face Off. I don't think yeah. Face Off is a good movie. I uh-huh. think Face Off is a lot of fun to watch. The Rock not, is the Rock because, is a lot of fun to watch. Face Off is not a lot of... See, Broken think, Arrow is fun to watch. Oh, no. The Face Off is oh, not no. a lot of fun oh, to no. watch. No, fa- Face Off is more enjoyable than The Rock or Broken Arrow. No. I actually hate The Rock so much. Okay. I don't know why. Yeah, like, that just either. happened in the past 10 years. It did. But I can't stand it. Yeah. I'll take pleasure in gutting you, boy. Oh, my God, I hate The Rock. <laughs> you know why I hate The Rock? Because of Con Air. Con Air makes me hate The Rock. Yeah, it's kind of like The Matrix 2 and 3 made me want to hate this movie. Right, but, I can never forget yeah, Connor. Right, yeah. Um, that's a bad review. It's, it's... Yeah. Yeah, I just wanted to read it because I thought it was fun. Um, <clears throat> Lisa Schwartzbaum. I remember reading her. She's in oh, yeah. Weekly, right? Yeah, that's what I said. Yeah, Entertainment Weekly. Yeah, we don't get to talk. Uh, it was her and uh, Owen Gleiberman. Yeah. We're the two Entertainment Weekly movie reviewers. God, I... But yeah, like all the like alliteration... Uh, consonants and all this stuff that like she's writing like stylistically it's awful it's so I, terrible. I cannot stand a reviewer that makes the review about themselves and making themselves seem better than the movie that they just well, they're trying to get themselves over right but that's not your job man your job is to tell me whether or not i'm gonna like a movie yeah or whether or not i should go see a movie like give me like objective things like this happens if you like this i don't know yeah, understood i i there's nothing i'm disagreeing with you but as we sit here, movies I like, for the most part. <laughs> yes, you're not like shitting on movies, except for you, except for shitting on the whole genre tonight. Well, it's a shittable genre. <laughs> on that what note, is good about sci-fi. I on mean, that, on that note, um, we did lose um, uh, the the gentleman who played Chewbacca this week, um, Peter Mayhew. So. Um, not a lot to his credit in terms of like film roles beyond really Chewbacca, Chewbacca, but um, you know, a notable performance under the the costume. Yeah, it's, it's weird because like it it made me feel like legitimately sad when I read it. Yeah, and then when I was thinking about, it, I was like, but I'm not really sad that Peter Mayhew died because Chewbacca still exists. Right. Like I don't know. It's 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 weird. Yeah. It's 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 weird, but it's like. But I mean, Chewbacca was to some degree the underneath that is is the movements, and I think in some way, some conscious way, you know that, right? And so it's like the person who did that and like lets out the, the that yell when they close the doors on Hoth, you know, and like puts his head up in the air and like you know hollers, and you feel like how sad Chewbacca and worried he is. It's like that's him acting under there. And it's like, I think on some subconscious level, you know that, so you can respect the actor. Right, but I read an article today, I think, that Peter Mayhew was just talking in English the whole time. Yeah. To the, like, the other cast members. Yeah. Like, this is what I'm, like, feeling right now. Right. And that the, the, whatever was, like, yeah. post-production. Oh, I'm sure it was. Right. I'm sure it was. But I, I still think look he's mannerisms and motions yes. and stuff of Chewbacca are really there's, well done. There's certain things that Chewbacca does that give him, like, so much more character sure sure than probably a giant like furry monster deserves to have right yeah and it is the credit of peter Mayhew, sure like sure. being able like the way he turns his head mm-hmm. the way he like shrugs his shoulders i mean there's some great stuff there so right 
We'll do a shot for Peter Mayhew this week. Sure. I don't know what the Chewbacca shot is. I, I looked it up. There's a Chewbacca drink, but there's not a Chewbacca shot. I think there's a Wookiee shot that has uh, milk in it, though, so I don't think I can do it. But um, there's a Chewbacca drink, apparently, that's called Chewbacca, and it is um, it is spiced rum and root beer, which kind of makes sense, I guess. That actually about sounds like a decent enough shot. That's that's not a shot, though. That's a... Right, you can do it as a shot. <laughs> I guess you can do anything as a shot, right? Okay. Yeah. I can make a shot called the Bowcaster or something or... Okay, any final thoughts on this um, list, Frank? So, I don't, like, I don't like to come across as, like, I really hate sci-fi. It's yeah. just that it takes a lot for a science fiction movie to work its way into my, like, I don't know. Like, for me to have great affection for something that's sure. sci-fi. And mostly it has to be, like, cheesy. If yeah. we did, like, 70s and 80s, man, I could make that list in, like, two seconds. Right. But... There's just something Do you think about, it's because this was like the 90s started taking it so seriously? Yeah, because they're so dour about everything. Yeah. Like, it's just not fun. Yeah. You okay. know, like, there's nothing enjoyable about what... But that's why I like The Matrix so much, because at its heart, The Matrix is just like an action movie. Yeah. With all these weird, disparate elements, like, brought together. And it's like... Man, like, Gattaca? Like, I want to take a nap. Like, the 13th floor? Like, fuck those movies, man. Those movies are awful. I forgot to ask you about Lawnmower Man. Oh, Lomer, man, it's terrible. Mm, okay. That's that's some of the, that's like, what, that, that, that's like being afraid of, like, money for nothing or something, the Dire Straits video. <laughs> that's true. It's like getting scared of That Lomer. is true, yeah, that's true. That's some bad special effects. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so, thank you for listening, everybody. Over the next few weeks, we will be, um... Doing a couple different things just because, again, Frank's still going to be traveling some and we've had to rearrange our schedule. So I don't know what to call what we're going to do next week, but uh, we're, it's still going to be a top five list. It's going to be going to be like an odds and ends or potpourri type top five where Frank, uh, with all of his 15,000 movies that he's watched, is still continually watching or rewatching movies that are outside the list where I can only seem to find time to watch movies that he tells me to watch on these lists, but he's constantly watching movies. So what we're going to do is like look at like the last month of his viewing history, and he's going to develop a top five list out of what he's viewed that has not been on a list. And we're going to talk about those next week uh, and maybe like you know kind of make that a feature at different times throughout the year and just kind of check in on what he's been watching. And then... Uh, and in two weeks, we're going to sit down and talk about the Marvel Cinematic Universe um, after Frank's already seen Endgame now. Um, I'm going to be seeing it this week, it looks like, uh, now that like tickets are actually available, it seems. Um, and I have some free time. So. Yeah, I was up front for that movie. Yeah. And I had to see it in 3D. Mm. Oh, yeah. How did that go with the 3D? Actually, it was, it was fine. Okay. I mean, it was unnecessary. Because you but... get sick. With three no, right? it didn't bother me. Oh, okay. But usually you do, right? You get, it makes you right, a little nauseous. This is, I haven't watched a 3D movie in like Green Lantern is the last 3D movie I saw. And I don't know that it was, I don't know. That might I, have made me nauseous for other reasons. <laughs> I was going to say, I don't think I've ever, I don't know if you ever told me that you saw Green Lantern. Yeah, Frank and I went to see it okay. when it came out. So we're going to talk about, you know, all like, you know, kind of like a retrospective on the you know, and talk about Endgame, you know, probably, I'm sure, a lot, but also talk about the cinematic universe as a retrospective. Um, and then at the end of the month, we'll be back to a top five list to continue the B-horror movies with 1984. So remember, um, 
uh, to email us if you have any suggestions for lists. You can email us at two guys five movies at gmail.com. That's the number two and five. Remember, you can also like our Facebook page. You can follow us on Facebook. Um, you know, uh, thank you for uh, downloading the episode. Uh, and again, we welcome all of our new listeners. Um, if anybody's listening to this for sci-fi, I'm sorry because um, mm-hmm. Frank's just shit all over the genre. So, uh, so it's fine. I'm just fucking with you. Um, so you know, make sure that you um, you know like and share. Uh, that's the thing that can help us the most, honestly. And uh, again, thank you. Have a good night. Have a good weekend. And we'll talk to you next week. Yep. Have a good week.